Hello and welcome everyone to the first episode of the Sunday Talk. I am your host, Joseph Dronick, and joining me yet again today is my good friend and brother in Christ, Dylan Morris. Dylan, how are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm well, praise God. If I um, have to admit, I woke up not too long before this because I always take a nap <laughs> after church, and I, I, I fell in such a deep sleep, I feel... You know when you wake up from a really good nap and you feel really weak? Really weak because that's just how, how good you're arrested. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, exactly right. That one. Yeah, that's me right now. <laughs> so um, so before we get started, because it's Sunday, I'm just kind of curious because I don't think we ever really spoke about this. Um, Did you go to the actual church building today or did you watch a live stream? I still watch live stream because uh, pretty much my my home my home church. I'm not too comfortable being around them right now because of so much stuff going going on with, within the church itself. So I, so right now until I find a better church and everything, I'm just attending my my actual dream church up in Hattiesburg. But but I'm nowhere near Hattiesburg right now, so I need to say I have no choice but to do live streams. Right, right, and um, of course we pray that you get into a nice church that you feel comfortable with and there's no big issues like that going on yeah. mm -hmm. um all right so let's jump right to it was there anything in today's lesson that's uh that stuck out to you <laughs> I, I was th thinking about uh for a couple of days now actually and because it, it's always been a childhood favorite story of mine, but I was, but I've always been curious as to why it's always been a childhood favorite story of mine. Because I used to be very much of a watery person. By that, I enjoyed the water and everything. So, pretty much the only reason I could come and up me with too. for a childish reason would would be that uh, Jonah ha has most to do with with the water, as far as the water has more, most effect on his story compared to anybody else's. Because there was much more to Moses than just supporting the Red Sea and the drowning of the Egyptians into the Red Sea. Right. Whereas Jonah it right. pretty much centers around the water for the majority of his story. <laughs> but uh, we, I was actually, uh, the sermon today was actually on Jonah chapter 3. And uh, I, didn't, I, I, I got a portion of some... Juan, Dylan, are you still there? And uh, Yeah, I'm still here. Can you... Yeah, you went out for a little bit. At least on my end. I don't know what the listeners hear, but you went out on my end. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I read uh, today's sermon was on cha on chapter three specifically, but I but I read all four to get a better context because, like I said, I didn't really get much out, out of it to begin with. I got a little bit, but probably not as much as I should have. But cha chapters one through four provided me with a full co with a full context and everything. And I think I I think I figured out why it's been on my mind lately. Considering what this nation is going through right now, all all the racism, police versus civilian uh, stuff going on, white versus black, and everything in between. Right. Jonah chapter three really really pre preached to, to me about uh the salvation of a not just one person or, or the other, but a, an entire nation, and I think that, that this is what or an entire city, I should say. But right. uh, it, it's what um, if you ask me, it's what pretty much every country especially America is going through right now, we, we need to have a full scale revival because in Jonah chapter three, it, it even mentions that uh, 
just the one one phrase being uh And verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least, signifying from the king of Nineveh totem, totem pole. And because because they all, not one man, excluded from that, because they all repented and turned away from, from their sins and everything, God showed mercy and he did not go through with his threat of destroying the Nineveh. Right. And I, th and I think that this is what the that, that's a what this country is in right now is such turmoil that we need to repent and turn away from our ways, from abortion up, up to the, the leadership of this country, down down to the uh, low men on totem poles, individual sins, as in mine and yours. Right, right. You know, it's funny. Um, everyone's so quick to compare America, especially in modern day, to Babylon. You really mm -hmm. don't hear a lot of people comparing america to nineveh which is weird because <laughs> nineveh was a city that was saved babylon yeah. comes up multiple times throughout the scripture but it always ends up being mm -hmm. bad for them like as regardless of how big they get they do crumble yeah hold up oh <laughs> all right so just on that um the book of jonah which is so indebted embedded i should say into people's minds is when jonah was told by god to go to the city of nineveh and tell them to repent and turn to him so he refuses he's afraid he goes out to the ocean, he's swallowed by a fish, he stays in there for a while, and then eventually he prays, the fish spits him out, he goes to Nineveh, and at the zero hour, Nineveh is saved. Oh, welcome back, man. Uh, just uh, just while I summarize the book of Jonah as best I can, if I have to be honest, I haven't read the book of Jonah in a while. Yeah. So I gave this really rather, I guess you could say crude um summary of it <laughs> but yeah. it is a really good tale especially like if you think about it Nineveh was like in the zero hour mm -hmm. so do you yeah, think they, we're they in were, this they were, only, they were only get they were only given 40 days to, to repent and as soon as they heard that one phrase in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished right then and there they, they repented of the sins and I think that's the problem with, with America right now even among the most devout of Christians yeah, I might have sinned, but I have all, all the time in the world for this. It's not like Christ is going to return tomorrow. Uh, you don't know that, sir or ma'am. He, he could return within the next half second, for all we know. Right. So, and not even and like the book not even James him says, returning. Sorry, you could sorry. die. You could die. No, no. I just want to add on to that. Not only in, not only can he come back. What you could die at any time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and it's well, said for man once die, then the judgment. Oh, mm -hmm. great minds think alike. Well, I just want to say as, as well, in, in, in the book of James, it also talks about how we are pretty much nothing more than the vapor in the wind. Because, because our time here is right here, right now, and for, and for eternity, for the rest of eternity, outside of the, the little vapor in the wind of, a, of the time and everything, we're either in heaven or hell, depending on, on Jesus during our life. 
like our, our personal relationship with him during our lifetime. Right, right. And that is, it's absolutely essential that we get that right, that we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what separates the destroyed city, Babylon, or Sodom, for instance. I but that I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm going to use Babylon because Babylon seems to come up a lot. Mm-hmm. So what separates Nineveh from Babylon is just that, is they turned to the living God. Mm-hmm. Whereas Babylon never does. And it's so weird because it doesn't seem to be destroyed completely until the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you want to know some, there's this weird, I, there's a Godzilla movie right now. Bear with me on this. Where if <laughs> no, where basically there's this monster and it's like the big bad, and the only and in order to make sure it's completely dead, there can't be anything left of it. It has to be reduced to atoms. Mm-hmm. If there is a tiny, because there's three heads, so if the head, if one head comes off, it'll grow another one back. But if the rest of the body is destroyed and there's a head the head could very easily regrow the body. So it's very clear in the movie that they have to completely destroy it. Mm-hmm. Like no remnants left, nothing. And it seems like Babylon is a product of sin. So it's not going to be fully getting rid of until, until the day comes when there is no more evil, when there is no more sin. Yeah. But uh, so, something else that came across me in the, in the book of Jonah was uh, when we're, in verse 6 of chapter 3, it, it says, When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And that, t- that to me, is ju- just like from in, in verse uh, 5, when it talks about from the greatest of them to the least. It, it is it's that great sense of humility, because... Even if there's an earthly king, there is always that royal, that uh, heavenly king, be- being Jesus Christ Himself, Man. and no- and no- nobody, regardless of how how much earthly influence you, you ex- exalt or don't exalt, Christ is always going to overcome. And therefore, even as an earthly king, much less a peasant, you must show that your humility. And that was one of those examples, one of many examples, really, but just the, just the one in the Book of Jonah, since that's where I'm studying that. Amen. Um, you know, I have to ask you that humility in our leaders, right? That <clears throat> seems to be essential that this man who was a king, and I just want to say, like, the back in the day, your robes is what kind of marked you as a king. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why when God appeared to Isaiah, he had this cloak that filled the whole room. The fact that he was basically tore it off and dressed like me and you and knelt in ashes shows how he realized how small he really is in the big picture, in the big picture of him to God. So do you think that is what we need in leadership today, especially from both parties, not just, let's not, not just 
with the, in the Democrats and not just in the Republicans with the leaders period and Dylan both me and you know where we fall on that spectrum and it's really it's really not important to the show but do you think we have leaders like that or do you think that's something that we need that leaders need to learn I, I I'm, a, I'm a little bit in between because I do believe that we do have leaders like that but it, but they're very few and far between and as far as those that rep that are I guess you could say the most important, as in president, vice president, people that represent the majority of the people and everything, that's where the people need to learn humility because you know me, I, 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 support, I support our president not to get political and everything, but he says some stupid things, he does some stupid things, as we all do, but he, he's the president, therefore his, the expectations for him are a little bit higher than ours. He should be leading the, the nation as an example. And therefore, yes, especially in his case, he needs to learn humility because if you think about how, how he words things, it's all about me, 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 me. And I mean, sure. There's some things about the country that he says, at least, well, let me rephrase that. There's a lot of things that he says about the country as well as himself, but it, it highly goes around him and look at what he's doing. And if you ask me, I think we need to learn a bit, a little bit of humility and look what this nation as a union is doing for the common good, pretty much. Right, I, I agree 100%, regardless of how you, of what you think of the job he's doing, there needs to be a certain humility in not just him, but the people in Congress, the people in the House of Representatives, which frankly, it seems like that's getting all sorts of out of control. Yeah. But and no one seems to know where their authority ends, where it doesn't. And I think yeah. when you, t especially now we're living in a quote unquote post-Christian America. And when you remove God from the equation, well, what stops people from abusing their power? What stops people mm -hmm. from not knowing where their authority ends? Because without God, they're the biggest ones. And when people are the biggest ones, as far as we can see, and not just the Bible, but throughout history, pretty dangerous things happen. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and that's I, on both parties. I, I, and I, I think, sorry. That, uh, <laughs> ultimately, I was going to say that uh, I think the real problem with America right now is the humility versus the non-humility of Congress themselves. Because if you think about it, the president only has eight, eight years at the very max to serve, unless he is only su subject to only one term and then it's four years at the max. Whereas Congress, right. we, they can be up in there for as long as they live since the time that they were elected, that could be 10 years, that could be 60 years. Right. So I think they have even more influence than the president himself, himself does. And I think that's ultimately where, where the uh, main problem lies at because times have changed in the last 60 years. Whether we want to admit it or not, it's time to move on. Plus they're they're taking abuse of the, of the power system because, well, they, they've been in Congress for this long. They, they know their ways around the system. Exactly. You know, we have, we need to get some like new blood in this. We need to get some new mm -hmm. thoughts in on these things. Of course, I'm always going to root. I'm always going to, I think John MacArthur said this best on, I think it was the Ben Shapiro show. Dylan, that was, I know this was a while ago now, but I sent that to you, right? I believe so. I, I don't think I ever watched it, but I, I, I believe so. Well, keep I, my ben it, I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben Shapiro, he's a political guy. He's a political commentator. He hosts his own political news show. Mm -hmm. And 
and he basically asked, where does, where do Christian thoughts lie? Where's the right way that Christians vote? And he mentioned the fact that at the end of the day, it's, it really is unwise for people to, no, no, let me phrase that. We, let me phrase that. Let's start from scratch. That it really comes down to voting for the lesser of two evils and, and using your, the Bible to decipher which one of those which one is the lesser of two evils because you're voting for one incredibly flawed individual for another incredibly flawed individual that might have a keen sense on one issue but not have a keen sense on the other. And it's a matter of fact of what's more important. Now, he also said this, and I agree with this. One party advocates for the killing of babies. I can't vote for that. So when people say, well, your leanings tend to have tend to be in one direction it's because that issue is incredibly important and i'm not going to get into that right here like i said we could do a whole podcast on it but yeah, the, the way that i that. see it yeah the way that i see it using my christian discernment i cannot i have to choose the lesser of that evil and there even sometimes i'll admit i didn't even vote in an election since i've turned yeah since i turned 18 there are some cases i just didn't vote on because you know not being informed enough and just really not liking anybody that was running but like i said we need to get that back into their thoughts and i th and to tell you the truth nothing would probably humble people in congress more than of course knowledge of god but also knowing the fact they're only in here for x amount of time and I could almost guarantee personal interest, personal gain will take a back seat when you realize I only have X amount of time in here. Let me actually do my job. Yeah. And actually, that that, uh, that can link, go back to, to jo Jonah real, real quick. That can actually, uh, if it, because it says in 40 days, Nineveh will be, be it, it tells them that it tells me that Nineveh only had this amount of time to, to get their stuff done. They needed to turn back to God within this time frame. Otherwise, they as a city will perish. So I think that's actually something that could that could line up with American politics in today's time frame is if Congress only had this amount of time to get things done, then they would actually get it done and not just sit back and say, oh, I can do it tomorrow and just wait till they die to, to get it done and they never got it done. Right. Right, that is that's very true. So you know, I can't help but wonder, right? And there's a reason why Jesus or pretty much all of scripture never gives an exact date or time when he'll return. And I gotta say, and this is just to anyone listening, whether you're listening on YouTube, whether you're listening on Podbean, just whatever. If you see a YouTube channel, because there have been hundreds, at least that I found, especially in my early walk, that I'll say like 2018 is when it will is when it will end or uh, doomsday uh jesus is coming 2021 or or 2012 These in the case of the aztec calendar or mine oh calendar, yeah i think it was mine you know just to sort of bring it back i remember waking up on the day that was supposed to happen and <laughs> the only thing was it was raining that was the only thing. It was raining. <laughs> yep. So, 
So I just want to say, Jesus himself said, for he didn't knew that, doesn't, doesn't know the time nor hour. So therefore, the there is... Exactly. So therefore, there is nowhere in scripture that gives exact dates. And that's for good reason, too. While I think that mm-hmm. what Dylan said, if we had, if we knew the exact time or hour that he was going to come back, we would definitely, we would probably have some people who would be like, yes, like, I'm going to all in, I'm going to repent because I realize I only have so much time. Or as the day get, gets closer, and here's the negative side of this, people are people will start to, are like, okay, I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to sin the way I want to sin, but I'm not, and I'm not going to repent until two days before. Exactly. But uh, that actually reminds me of something that uh, the, the sermon talked about earlier today mm-hmm. was uh, pr- pretty much pretty much given for, for forty days, and that's pretty much like like the book of James talks about as far as more like vapor in the wind, pretty much. And uh, dang, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so so more or less because we don't know the time nor the day that that we could die, and even if even if we die. We we could say that we're just going to put off repenting until we're on our deathbed, but like like my like my pastor says, we may not even have a deathbed. We could be shot point at point blank and die instantly, right. and therefore the time is now because nobody knows what way we're going to die. We we could assume what way we're going to die, die, but we don't know for sure or when that that death is going to come or anything else. So it's best to just go ahead and and take take care of business, repent, and turn from our sinful ways and and accept our savior right amen i couldn't have said that better myself we the fact that we don't know should be the greatest should just be shake us to our core to be like repent repent Mm -hmm. um you know what's something that my my sermon was on today it was actually Acts chapter eight. Uh, you remember, the, you know, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Somewhat. I'm not too familiar with it, but I'm getting there eventually. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to. I I take notes. I don't know about you, but whenever I go to church, I take notes on my phone. I would bring a notebook, but I I don't want to carry all that around. So I take notes on my phone, and. <laughs> And the story was, I believe, hold on, let me just double check, because I want to give exact verses on where this is found. I'm Bear aware. with me here. <laughs> All right, it's Acts 8, 26 through 40. So Philip was sent to go preach the gospel. He runs into an Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the prophet Isaiah and the man saying things like, and he, you know, Phil goes up to him and says, do you fully understand what he's saying? And he's like, no, I don't without a teacher. So Philip gets in his chariot, tells him what it's about and teaches him that it's about Christ. Isaiah, the, the old prophet talked about Christ. And this man 
who in the old covenant wouldn't even be welcomed in the assembly became a believer right then and there. And then Philip baptized him in a river and then they never saw each other again. The man went home so glad that he was saved. He was rejoicing in the Lord. And without a doubt, he definitely spread the gospel to people he knew. But if you really think about it, God uses people, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. Like, look at that circumstance. Philip's just walking down the street. I mean, I'm probably walking, walking along and see, and he sees this chariot and just, and this man who's more Gentile than Jew reading Isaiah. And it hits me like, how often do you feel unqualified to go and te teach someone about the gospel? Pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah, me too. I feel unqualified to be hosting this thing right now. But that's what but God doesn't call the qualified because um can I let you in on a little secret? Go ahead. None are qualified. Exactly. Other than Jesus Christ himself. Amen. And you know, that's just something that stuck with me today. And I'll admit, even as I took that really good nap, I was really sort of meditating on that. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird, but <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah especially. Man, reason why I jump. Sorry. No, no, but, you go. No, you go, man. Okay. Well, but I was, I was just going to say, but that, yeah, I think that's the main reason why Jonah's been on my mind the past couple of days is because of what this country had is turning to has been on the path for for a long time and it's pretty much just tiring to just sit back and watch as christians i think we need we need to step, stand up like jonah did e even if in the case of jonah we run away first and, but we but we need to let it out that america needs to repent and turn turn to god otherwise even if it's not 40 days from now but 40 years or 40 millennia from now before we get the story Right, because if you think about it, going going from a, another theological perspective, I don't think it's really mentioned in the Bible, but it's been proven and everything. Mm -hmm. After uh, Nineveh repented, God more or less postponed their destruction for another hundred and fifty years. Really? Mm -hmm. At least that's what my pastor says. I don't really know where he got that that from, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm going to do some research into this. Yeah, I'm going to as well. <laughs> Always more to learn about the Bible. Any one book. No such thing as knowing too much. Exactly, dude. Like, thing about it, John MacArthur probably doesn't, probably is probably still learning to this day. Mm -hmm. And he's been in the ministry for, for what, 70 years? No, I think so. 40. No, it's in the 50s now that I think about it. Yeah, 50, 50, 50. Oh, yeah, that's true. I have, I have, I have letters from, from him saying, uh, Grace to you's 50th anniversary. Oh, wow. Excuse me. So, dude, wait, that actually means he was in it for longer because that's that just says how long Grace to you's been around. That's his radio broadcast. That's, true, that's 
Well, it's not even just a radio broadcast. It's ministry altogether. Well, it started as a radio broadcast. Yeah, it might have started like that, but it's not just that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, because who just listens to the radio now? Exactly. Yeah, I hate to tell you this. Whenever I'm in my car, I, uh, I, I, just, I listen to my music. I don't listen to the radio that much. Pretty much the way I am already. Because all this that we're on, on our radio is country music. And you know how I feel about, about country music nowadays. Yeah, I, I agree with you 90s, on that. Nineties country are earlier than that. <laughs> yeah, nineties country are earlier than that. I can, I can talk, at least tolerate, but I'd much rather Christian music over anything. Yeah, you know me. I have a soft spot for Johnny Cash. <laughs> for me, that soft that soft spot belongs to Josh Turner. Hmm. Good taste. All right, so. You've been reading Jonah this week, or has has that been on your heart? Like for, for me, last I, week is the Book good. of Philemon. I couldn't chase. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't help with that. By the way, you pronounce it. <laughs> How is it really pronounced? I pronounce it Philemon, as in Philip. But Philemon. Philemon instead of oh, yeah, that's how I pronounce it. But, but tomato, tomato, as long as you, as long as we we know what we're, what you're trying to say, then that's all. That matters, really. Yeah, but this is going to aggravate me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you were saying um, you were saying about you and the Book of Jonah this week? That, that, that pretty much co co covered it with uh, how, this how this nation is becoming and that we need to turn back and repent, repent and turn back to God and all that. Oh, no, but I was asking, was it something like you couldn't escape, like me in the book of Philemon? Or was it just something that your pastor said and really stuck with you? Ultimately, it's what my, it was, it's what my pastor said, because it, because when he, he pointed out in great detail about the uh, <clears throat> king of Nineveh tearing his royal robe and laying in the, sitting in the ashes and everything, pretty much giving God... The, the room to sit on the throne as a higher authority and everything that that's what stu stuck to me at because that's exactly where america is right now and that's exactly where america needs to go we're in the, we're in none of us seat and just waiting on, on the uh the people the people in the back to to say repent and turn from your evil ways but but hey to bring it Break it to you, fellow Christians, but uh, we we need to be those people in, in the back shouting out, repent and turn from your evil ways. Amen. Amen. I, I, I agree with that. Um, so now I must ask you to sort of like go into another part of the Sunday talk where it's not just about the, ser the sermon today. But uh, so what passages of scripture are you meditating on throughout the week? Like where are you in your now Bible I'm reading, reading things like that? Ooh, good one. Right now, I'm I'm, I'm reading he he Hebrews, and uh, one one of the highlighted verses is uh, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Ver uh, uh, Hebrews two, uh, verses two through. 
three. But uh, I don't know, lost my train of thought again. <laughs> but All right, so that passage of scripture. Sorry. <laughs> it ultimately goes into what, what me and you were talk, talk, talking about, uh, I believe it was last night in the book of Galatians. Right. Referring to uh, the, le- the, the, legally, the legal bind versus the freedom in Christ and everything. Right. Because before, because we have Christ, our punishment has already been taken from us, even though we still deserved it. And the person that took it from, from us did not deserve it whatsoever, but he still took it because of how much he, he loves us. And like verse 3 says, if we really meditate on that, how, how can we neglect such a great salvation that, that Christ offers, offers us by dying on that cross to forgive us of all our sins? Amen. And it's funny you uh, mentioned book of Galatians. I was going to bring up uh, Galatians 5 that we read last night and how I th- it's, so ma- it's so easy for us to slip into legalism and slip into the holier-than-thou attitude when, the book of, when, again, Galatians 5 and Hebrews is very clear. Nothing you did started this, so why are you gloating about it? Yeah. Like, like I said, God calls the unlikely god calls the unworthy there's no difference between me you john MacArthur, and i i don't know um marilyn manson for even instance going into bible time, even going into bible times david was an adulterer and, and murderer rahab was a was a prostitute married to, married to a uh, at that time jewish man but still either way both both of those were very important people in the family line of christ himself Christ didn't come from the highest of the highest from the, from the from royalty itself. He came from the lowest of the lowest. People that were subject to government authority and were even persecuted by the government because that, they were just that low. They were peasants, for lack of a better word, put in there. Yeah. And yet, and Paul, even Paul is definitely sorry. the family on Christ instead of the royalty. Go right. ahead. I'm done now. <laughs> and, and, and even the royalty, let's face it, Israel only had like a few one maybe objectively good king and he wasn't even perfect he wasn't perfect like david you just said he was an adulterer he was a little arrogant but he was still after god's own heart and a murderer and then solomon who was the smartest out of anyone buckled under the weight of his own intellect and started bowing before other gods solomon became a cautionary tale to us as Christians. <laughs> and then just like just like you said, then it was a bunch of peasants, and it was a bunch of prophets. And it was ultimately the one of the most dysfunctional family trees the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And yet here Jesus comes in it and he succeeds where every single person in his family tree from Matthew 1:1 he succeeds where they fails, where they failed. Mm-hmm. And even a, even a more descriptive fam, family line, because Matthew only goes back to a- Abraham, but even a more descriptive family line comes in, in Luke. Let's see. Very true. Luke, let's see. I'm trying to find a family line in here <laughs> somewhere. Okay, Luke, Luke th- verses 3. I mean, Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to, to 38. 3, 21. 23 is what I meant to say, 23 to 38. 
21 to 22, 23. talks about the baptism of Jesus. It's but it's but it stretches back all, all the way to son, the son of Adam to the son of God. Yeah, it's right in front of me, and it's cool. Like that's mm-hmm. through um, Joseph's genealogy, and that's in a legal sense because he wasn't biologically related to Joseph. He was begat of the Holy Spirit because in Mary as a virgin, because remember, it's through man's seed that sin enters the world. Mm -hmm. So therefore, here Jesus, but Jesus still needed to be claimed legally in the temple and had to do basically everything right. Even to the way he was born, the way he was presented in the temple. And that's pretty, it's just pretty cool to see, you know, of the unlikeliness of how, um, of how God uses people. And uh, I just want to say anyone who would want to join in, any listeners, you feel free to call in. This is an open show. Uh, we encourage people to come in and state their opinions, whether you want to stay on till the show ends or just have something you want to add. Um this is just the Sunday talk where we're talking about where we are in the Bible, where we are in, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, let me rephrase that. I don't think I've fully woken up yet. <laughs> um, and what we heard in church today. So whatever you want to come in, whatever you want to do, do whatever you want to talk about, please feel free. So um, Dylan, it's also funny, like I am, I'm reading through the Psalms and I've been reading through the Psalms for a long time, but I don't, I'm not consistently in the Psalms. There are some days where, well, first off, I'll admit my Bible reading isn't perfect. I should be in there every day, but I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I am. And also I don't always, yeah. And I don't know about you, but I have, well, you've seen my Bible. I have like sticky notes all over. So there are some days I'll be here and then other days I'll be here. And I try to read five chapters a day. So I, there are some days I'm not, like I said, I don't, I barely touch the Psalms. Hold on. Let me, let me actually, I, I got to turn to the, uh, I haven't read the Psalms in a few days. I've mostly been reading the prophets, um, the uh, what's it called? I, I please forgive me, man. It's like it's really like I haven't completely woken up yet. I gotta stop taking naps after church. I'm not. I'm not. Dylan, you know me. I'm not. I am not a morning person. You know that. And you know that about me as well. Oh yes. Yeah. What was it? Psalm. I actually read this last night, right before, right before me and you got on a call. Um, Psalm twenty-nine, verses eight and nine. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The Lord, voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and shifts the forest bare. And in His temple, everyone says, "Glory." And I highlighted that, and that's how. I know whenever I turn to this, which psalm I'm in or which chapter I'm in, because I always I I underline, I highlight. My Bible is 
kind of beat up. And when you hear that, <laughs> you, I read that, and I'm thinking all of nature, everything we see bows down to God. Mm-hmm. It's all his. It's his voice that makes the deer give birth. His voice could strip the forest bare, but ultimately everyone in his temple says glory. So everything in nature in a way praises him. Hold on. What E44, do you think it's possible to live by the lessons the Bible teaches without living by some of the more restrictive dogmatic aspects of Christianity? So, um, Woody, just can you be a little more specific with the restrictive dogmatic aspects? Because I know, you know what? I'm going to answer this question as best I as best I could without knowing exactly what you mean by that, just trying to attack it in a general sense. The ult- There are a lot of Christians that will say, for example, they'll look at the Levitical law and they'll say, still say you can't eat certain things. Like I know pork is one. I know shellfish is another. And it's actually a, perhaps sex before marriage or consumption of alcohol or drugs. All right. So thank you for the specifics. The sex before marriage well, well, aspect. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. You want, you want to tackle this first or should I? I'll let you go first. Because I don't, I don't really have a full and detailed answer, but it kind of sounded like you were struggling at first. So I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. No, hold on, I'm just gonna take a drink of water real quick. <laughs> I hate that like cotton mouth feeling when you just wake up. I hate that. All right, when you look at the teachings of Christ in the Bible, you see that the marriage bed and marriage as a whole and an institution is an extremely high regard. So therefore, sex before marriage, sex was dedicated to be something for marriage, something to be celebrated, something to be enjoyed. And we, and then, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'm, I, Woody, I promise you, other podcasts, I'm sharp as a tack. I took a nap before this and I actually forgot what time it was. <laughs> As I can be a witness to. Because he yeah. told me it was going to be at 5 30 when, when the podcast was already scheduled 4 30. Yeah. At least my time anyway. Central. Yeah. It's okay, <laughs> man. I'm not judging. Thank you very much, man. So, like I was saying, it's an extremely high regard. And in Song of Solomon, which is in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Song of Solomon eight it's very clear to not awaken love before it's ready and now i could tell you this from my own experience because i wasn't always a christian i went through 21 years of my life before even opening the bible i knew that there were certain things in it but i didn't understand the context i didn't understand the teachings of christ i didn't understand who he was and it wasn't until i read it and i understood the why and then when I looked at myself, I really understood the why, for example, sex before marriage was a bad thing because being able to share yourself exclusively with that person and having this one aspect of intimacy that is only between you and your wife is a truly remarkable experience. And while I'm washed by the blood of Jesus and those sins from the past are forgiven, I still live with the memories of other women that I've been with. So when I get married, 
I almost, I sometimes feel like I'm not going to be able to have that ultimate form of intimacy with my wife because not only have I had that with other women, but other women have had that with me. So that's my stance on that. And in terms of alcohol or drugs, um, Dylan, we could actually vouch. Um, the Bible never says anything to abstain from alcohol. As a matter of fact, uh, wine has been told multiple times. It's said to be something of celebration. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. however, it can as be abused. It tells exactly. Exactly. It says that everyone must be in their own right mind, be sober-minded. But at the same time, it's a drink that's meant for enjoyment. It's a. It's if you're at a party, and I could vouch for this, and I'm I'm sorry if I'm bringing this to myself here. You know, I've been to weddings, I've been to events, and they've had toast. I've had a glass of champagne. That's not a sin. When we get into drugs also, drugs are, I tell you the truth, in terms of stuff like marijuana, I'm kind of torn on because there are benefits of something yeah. like CBD oil. Exactly. But at the same so, time, so that can... <laughs> Sorry. Well, all I was going to add to, to that last portion was marijuana has been... Has been proven to not, not necessarily cure, but definitely pre prevent seizures, and that that affects me. And that I do have seizures, and it also helps deal with deal with cancer. It's not once again, it's not a cure for cancer. It just my understanding is it just prevents it from spreading. It prevents it from becoming even worse than it already already is. So just like jo Joseph said, when it comes to drugs, yes, it has its pros, but it also has its cons. I'm definitely more torn on it than anything else. As far as I don't know exactly where I stand because. With with me, I would not be in favor of my body be, being subject to, to drugs of of any kind, unless it's prescription medicine. But like just taking recreational marijuana, for example, because on for even for a medical basis, I don't think I could do that by, for myself. I think I think my doctor would have to prescribe it for me if he would ever do that. But the medicine I'm on right. right now, not to get off topic or anything, it does the job perfectly fine. So I'm okay with that. But anyway, back to you, Joseph. That's all I was going to add to, the, to that for, for now. Yeah, um, but I will say this. In terms of like drugs, especially now we have an opiate crisis. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I would actually say that ventures into the realm of sin because A, it takes you out of your right mind. And B, people, I've heard countless stories of people doing horrible things and just giving up everything for the sake of the addiction. And again, I've witnessed people who were just awesome they're, and they're prescribed a medicine for whatever reason and they get addicted to it. So therefore, when you get when it gets into that form of addiction, especially with prescription meds, I'd say, yeah, that's when we get into sin. And I would and of course, does anyone need a reason to stay away from stuff like cocaine and heroin? The stuff and crystal meth, that's it's all like what battery acid and stuff like that. So why would you even, I don't ever understood why people would want to put that in their body, but that's just my stance on the alcohol and drugs in terms of something like marijuana. I'm very torn on, but the hardcore stuff like the opiates and all that, I think it's very clear that reasons why we should stay away from that. Um, Woody, did I, did we answer your questions correctly? Do you ever consider it important to show aspects of your personality in order to fully understand the whole picture? I have recently started learning about Carl Jung's 
theories on psychology. He talks about the dangers of repression in the search of perceived purity. Yeah, you did, man. Thanks. But you know what? Purity culture, I, I'm for staying pure. I think we ultimately should. But at the same time, if we do, like, example, if you're dating someone before marriage and you don't so much as affirm them by holding their hand. And I'm not saying this is for everyone, but it can be dangerous. It can be detrimental. It could damage their self-esteem because I perceive love one way. Dylan perceives love in another. And Woody, I don't know how you perceive love, but it could be completely different than me and you, me and Dylan. So therefore, I think if we go on the ultra pure, ultra, like, don't, don't touch me, don't even smile at me. It can be very detrimental to our psyche. Yeah. But if, but of course, we have to abstain from the pleasures of the bedroom before marriage. And so I'm for uh, setting up boundaries. I'm for like, you know what? We're not going to be in a private room together. We're not going to, you're not going to yeah. know what my bedroom looks like. I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> oh, you live by yourself? I'm not going to come to your apartment unless like you have friends over and we're having a party or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, pr but pretty much to the ultimate sum of, of what I think Joseph is trying to say, and I 100% and I agree, is for one, there's always going to be the pros and cons. And it just depends on, especially when it comes to like purity culture, for example, of course there is too far on one, one end, but there's also too, too far on the other end that you, I, I've never really truly thought about. Because to, because to me, even the most restrictive of boundaries can be actually healthy to one person even if it's detrimental to the other, but ultimately in the long run, it might be detrimental to both parties. Such as don't even make eye contact with me and, and uh, for, because, because you, because of the, of the purity culture and everything that, that to me is too far. <laughs> because I mean, we have eyes for a reason. <laughs> Not trying to make excuses to banish purity, but there's a difference between looking at, at fully clothed people and fully naked people. Naked people, that's a no go right there because that's, that's not pure at all. But if she, if a girl is fully clothed in, in, in mine and Joe's case, then depend, it depends on the intention behind looking at her, I guess you could say. I'm, I'm only digging myself a deeper hole. I can feel it. <laughs> nah, man, I think you're, um, I think you get it. What if, what about if you have had a desire that was forbidden by church, it could be very destructive to repress. You know what? Yes. Yes, it could. I mean, for example, Dylan, both me and you are young guys and we have desires. We have, we're, we're red-blooded young men. So therefore, we know <clears throat> us having self-control is a very, very tough subject. It's something that I think almost every man our age who calls himself a Christian deals with. But that's why we are given things like the church we're given things like the body of christ and granted not every church body is the same but the goal of it is to come together to sort of lay burdens on one another and to learn from each other so therefore we have desires that we know we need to check and also i just want to say Having, for example, um, a sexual desire isn't inherently a bad thing because in marriage, 
you should desire your wife. It's just mm -hmm. putting something in the appropriate context that it becomes exactly. destructive. Like it's, it's kind of like one of our podcasts in the future is going to be on the difference between the, temp the temptation and actually acting on that temptation. Temptation in and of itself is not the sin. Acting on it is. But that's for a different podcast. But that's pretty much scratching the surface for the future that w comes in handy for right now that we're talking about. So pretty much the sexual desires is not a sin in and of themselves. It's how you act on those sexual desires. Right. And also um, other desires too. Like there are people that I know that they just want to go out and party. They want to they, they want to do stuff that necessarily the Bible condemns. And that can be very, very hard for us to deal with, especially I'm 24, Dylan's 22 now. It's very difficult to deal with that. But at the same time, we're called, we're called to endure. And like you said, I don't even think having a party at your house is sinful. It's just when the activities cross a certain line that we reach destructive categories. What if you're attracted to something the Bible forbids? I'm not gay, by the way, but I do have friends who are. I care a lot about them not having this repressed inside. You know what? I said this on one podcast a, a while ago. It wasn't about this in particular. But as a Christian, we are called to treat every person we meet with love and respect. Mm -hmm. However, we need to acknowledge what's sin and what's not. And I just want to say... Woody, that I'm I'm still learning. I'm not the end all be all on this, and neither is Dylan. Sorry, man. Nope. So there are probably <laughs> yeah. So there are probably people more intelligent than I that you can talk to about this. And me. Yeah. But <laughs> at the end of the day. We know what God says. We know that God has spoken with clarity on some issues, and homosexuality is one of them. I think we, what we need to do is emphasize more and more, and when we talk to people, talk about, talk about the gospel. Talk about, talk about Jesus. Talk about the forgiveness of sin. Talk about the bearing that you can have your sins forgiven. And as a matter of fact, Paul even says in, I always forget where this is, but it's in, I believe, 1 Corinthians, where that sin is mentioned, <laughs> where that sin is mentioned explicitly, and Paul says to that church, as were some of you. So therefore, we know that people who have come out of that sin, we know that people have overcome that sin, if not still struggling with it. However, we also does talk about having a sort of self-discipline. For example, Paul talked about having a thorn in his side in Romans 7. He also, the very last verse of Romans 7 is, um, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So everyone, even the great apostle Paul, dealt with things like that. 
But then it'll the very next verse in the opening verse of Romans chapter eight says, therefore, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. So I think what you're doing and having friends and caring about them is a wonderful, wonderful thing. However, we shouldn't, we should definitely teach them and teach, I shouldn't say teach them, but teach everybody that we have these sinful desires and it's very clear that we are supposed to run from them. We're supposed to run and not just run away to something, something like a hobby or um, a job. We're supposed to run to Christ because, you know, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. So I think uh, that's my answer on this topic. Uh, Dylan, what would you say? You summed it up nicely. <laughs> well, that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. So do we have any other questions? I'm actually, sorry. I'm actually enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm loving having these questions. Um, Woody and we have uh, Liam LFC now in the studio. Um, Liam, if you have any questions that you want to address, have addressed, feel free. And Woody, if you have any more, please feel free. Um, we're we're both enjoying this. I hope, I just hope and pray my questions are helpful. Not my questions, my answers are helpful. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, by the way, Dylan, I just have to ask, did you find out um, where exactly that passage is? I'm, I'm looking for it, but there's actually a, a, a few people. Okay, okay, here it is. First uh, Corinthians 6. Uh, it looks like verse 8 through 9. It says, instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people idolaters, adulterers, or male who, males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. By the way, that's 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 8 through 10. 8 through 11, sorry. <laughs> right. All right. So we have a question from Liam, and then Woody, I'll get to your question. Hey, how do I know God is real? I want to believe, but where's the proof? All right. So ultimately where I say, I want to say this, I am not a scientist. I'm not um, anything like that. But we have, but I always, I came to the conclusion a while in the summer of 2016 that God exists because of how orderly the universe is. Excuse me. Of example, that the Earth is in something called the Goldilocks effect, where it's just close enough to the sun that life can be sustained, excuse me, but not mm -hmm. too close where it's a wasteland. And that's just one instance exactly. of many. And then, you know, even in the book of Job, how it mentions before any What's modern. called Job, the science book of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> How Job mentions how the earth, how the earth is suspended on nothing, and it's all rolled open like a scroll. And back then, keep in mind, scrolls were basically all rolled on an axis, like a tilt. So therefore, 
how can you tell me this book's inspired, not inspired when we're talking, we're talking about not the, just the fact that the earth is round and rotating, but on an axis. It hangs not, the earth on, upon nothing as well. It, in other words, it's not, it's not sitting upon a turtle or a giant animal of some sort or anything of, of, of that nature. And Job 26, seven, this is paraphrased now, but it says he hangs the earth upon nothing. And exactly. I actually have a book on 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 scientific facts, and if you want, I'll I'll read I'll go ahead and read read y'all some something if if that's okay. Uh yeah, go right ahead. I'm, but I'm because it's so long. I'm gonna par I'm gonna paraphrase what what they say. So, they speak of an invisible structure that we now know know as atoms, and that that's mentioned in in Hebrews eleven three in eleven three written two thousand years ago. And it quotes, things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It, the Bible also reveals that the earth is round. Isaiah 40, 22, it is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. And if you think about it, in case you want to think about it as a cylinder, in, in this context, the, uh, the original translation could also be translated circuit or compass. And pretty much... And if you go go in, in space, if it was a cylinder, then you can look at Earth from the side or whatever whatever angle that you want to see, and you can see that it does have have edges, even though those edges are rounded themselves, like a cylinder. But going from going into outer space, what you really see is it doesn't matter what what at what angle you're looking at the Earth, all you're going to see is a circle re resembling a sphere, in other words, because a circle from from all sides. Uh. Liam posted another thing. Is, isn't it true, though, that science has explained, proven more to us about the universe and our existence in the last hundred years than the Bible has managed to explain in 2,000 years or any other religious scripture for that matter? <clears throat> to, to me, well, yes, that, that's, that's true. But uh, the, the reason why I do think that the Bible is, is, more, is also just as reliable as science is because even though, yes, the Bible managed to, to explain everything in those 2,000 years, which is much longer than just 100 or even 500 years, it also was much older. And if you think about it in the context of when the Bible was written, people back then were much le less, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess you say privileged, for, for lack of a better word. They didn't have the technology that we have had in the last 500 years or so. So how, how, how else could they have found all, all of this out other than by being told by God himself? And their own disco discovery, because we're talking about BC and, and uh, very early '80s when this technology was not even really existent. Uh, I personally interpret it as a text of metaphors and archetypes, which have lessons within them, as opposed to a literal text that describes what exactly happened in a previous time. As such, I believe heaven to be a mental state which we can occupy by escaping egoic drives that deliver our mental state to a lower form of thinking, i.e. hell. Hmm. All right, well, to kind of go ahead and mention, yes, I do agree the technology has a major part of that enlightenment. That's a fair point, well made. All right, I'm going to actually go and address um, Woody. I'm going to try to tackle this at the same time as Liam's question as to the historical evidence that Jesus was who he says he was. And that in turn goes in with the, the fact of if there is a God and the God of the Bible is true and Jesus is to be worshipped, that all hinges on the fact of 
He promised he was going to rise from the dead. He died and rose from the dead a few days, three days later. The fact is that there is more verified manuscripts of this, of that event than any other historical event that ever happened in history. And it's not written in the Cephas sense of once upon a time, it gives real people, real place, real time. So therefore, Jesus comes in and he has his earthly ministry. He lives his perfect life and he's he says he's fulfilling the prophecies from the Old Testament. He dies on a cross because the religious leaders were so corrupt at that time that they didn't even want to believe that this man could undermine that, but not realizing that they were unintentionally fulfilling that prophecy. And then on the and then a few days later, after he died, and I just want to verify, he was dead, stone cold dead. When the spear pierced his side, there was blood and water, which when your lung is punctured and water pours out, that's a sign of dying of asphyxiation. So therefore, the guy was dead. And then he was seen a few days, three days later, and the wrapping is still there. It was a 200-something pound ton boulder that it took Roman soldiers to move. It was under the guard of Roman soldiers. And they were so focused on disproving this that they were like, no, we're going to watch him and we're going to prove to you that he wasn't who he said he was. And the next, And then boom. He walks out of the tomb on the third day, and then we had the verified manuscripts. As a matter of fact, I'm not the expert on this. I'm still learning. Like I said, I'm reading into this matter as we speak. I would highly recommend a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Lee you, could pro you could probably get that on Amazon <laughs> for about, um, at most, 20 bucks. And uh, Woody, to sort of bring that in. If you look at the original language, Jesus spoke about heaven as a real place, as a, as a physical place that you can be in. That God, while a spirit, takes up physical spaces and there is a, a literal space of hell. As a matter of though, there are two different places. The lake of fire described in Revelation isn't where people go today. If they're unsaved, there's actually two words for that in the original language that most people would um, translate to as hell. And the problem with most uh, most modern translations have it right, but the older translations, like such as the original King James, they still translate it as hell. And that's something that, yeah, you can make an argument. It's similar, but at the same time, it they are two different places, and it's important to draw that distinction. Have you ever considered the death of Jesus on the cross and the subsequent resurrection might be a metaphor for the death of the ego and rebirth of the new mental state above that that of the previous? So you want so you're wondering if we considered that this was a metaphorical thing, and it seems like it's a very Eastern philosophy that you're approaching to us. Woody knows what what's up. Well, look, that's a very look, that's a very good question. I'll admit that. And um, we're gonna try to uh, we're gonna try to answer this within the next few minutes because we try to keep these 
we try to keep these not too long. So when people listen, we don't, and things are like five hours between me and you, which I find it hard <laughs> to listen to stuff. But like I said, we have the historical evidence that comes from eyewitness accounts that say that he really died and he really rose. And that's not even stuff in the Bible. That's not even the four gospels, though they would serve as evidence considering that there's so many verified manuscripts dating within months to a few years after the event. Woody, you've been smoking the wacky. <laughs> so point is, there seems to be a hefty amount of witnesses to verify that Jesus literally died, literally went on a cross and rose again on the third day. And he spoke of a physical resurrection of the dead. He spoke of the forgiveness of sin. And he spoke of that he one day he'll come back and you will go to the real place in heaven. He spoke uh, an example of uh, John 14. In my father's house, there are many mansions. And I go and prepare a place for you and I'll come back for you. So therefore, he does. it does seem to lean more, it's an actual thing, it's an actual resurrection, it's an actual physical place that's gonna, that we're going to go to. Uh, Dylan, is there anything you want to add to this? Not, not really, uh, because I, once again, you hit, you hit the, the nail on, with, the, with the hammer per, almost perfectly. But uh, me and you both are still, still learning this, and I think this will actually make a, a definite good, good topic on a... Uh, for another po podcast episode so we have a little bit more more time because uh i already knew no we we weren't going to try to get too apologetics based and everything we were just going to try to keep it simple but uh now now that i'm seeing that people actually have these kind of questions i'm all for it but uh yeah th there is pl plenty of, of e evidence outside of the bible itself including uh if you've ever he heard of this name flavius josephus who is a historian he in the first century, he uh, he wrote he wrote one of the earliest non-biblical accounts of, of, of Jesus. And uh, according to Bart D. Ehrman, who is a religious scholar at, at one one university or the other, I forget the name of the university. He he was actually far and away our best source of information about first-century Palestine, quoted by him anyway. But he but Josephus or Josephus, as some people like to pronounce him, his name. He twice mentions Jesus Christ and Jewish antiquities, his massive 20-volume history of the Jewish people that was written around 93 AD. But uh, just to give you a little bit of background on Josephus and who he, who he himself is, he is thought to have been born a few years after the crucifixion of, of Christ himself around 37 AD. He was a well-connected aristocrat and military leader in Palestine. And by the way, I am reading this off history.com in case y'all did the citation for it. And... Uh, he served as a commander in Galilee during the first Jewish revolt against Rome between 66 and 70 AD. But uh, he himself w was a skeptic and, and, and all, but uh, he, he eventually came, came to, he was always obviously born around, around that time of crucifixion. So plenty of Jesus' followers were still very much alive and well at that time. And that, I'm guessing that was enough proof, proof for him, for him he, because Josephus was not a follower of Jesus or so according to the citation it says but he was around when the early church was get, just getting started so he knew people who had seen and heard jesus and uh he he recounts an unlawful execution that of uh josephus identifies the victim as james as a brother of jesus who is called the messiah 
while few scholars doubt the short, short account's authenticity. So, more debate surrounds Josephus's lengthier passage, passage about Jesus, no, known as a testimonium flavianum, if I can pronounce that right, which describes a man who, quote unquote, who did surprising deeds, aka aid miracles, and was condemned to be crucified by Pilate. So I just thought that was a little bit of, of info that might, might help help you all out a little bit as, as to the his, historicity of Jesus Christ himself. Just giving one, one example of an extra biblical source. Exactly. And um, we're about to wrap up, guys. So if there's any other sources I'd recommend, if you have questions, I'd say, um, you know, the works of Ravi Zacharias. He recently passed away, but his books are tremendous. His lectures have been a tremendous help for questions that I've had in the earlier days of my faith. Uh, Dr. James White is another great source. He is a scholar, and I'm still learning from him. I'm actually, my experiences with him are rel are newer than they have been with Ravi Zacharias, but I would recommend this to check out his works. And uh, another two that I would add would be uh, Lee Strubble, which is the same guy that wrote the, the Case for Christ that Joe mentioned earlier, and uh, Josh McDowell, who, who actually wrote a book on the, the evidence for Christianity, which I which I actually have a copy of. That's where I get most of my evidence material from. But yeah. like I said earlier, one, one, of, one of these days, me and Joe will have, will have to come come across or make, make time for a uh, evidence of Christianity podcast episode. And we can't wait for that day. <laughs> yeah, we we really can. And it's, you know, we have a long list of shows that we want to get to before anything. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it could be at sometimes overwhelming. Um, by the way, they're talking about the Premier League restart. So... I believe you guys are talking about soccer, which um, I, I'm not a big fan of soccer. I'm I'm not. I'm was, I'm much more of a I'm a I'm a football or UFC fan myself. But um, what do you think of the price of rice in China, or more generally, increasing price of basic food sourced in the Far East? I don't really know much on that topic, but. But it is something to worry about at the if the price of a basic food item is rising to the point where people aren't going to be able to get to it. And there's probably, I don't know yeah. if there's a reason because, you know, who knows, maybe there's problems with the crops or whatever. But it is something that we should be worried about and in prayer over. So that's just my stance yeah. on like, that like from what very little I know. Yeah, like here, here in the uh, United States where, where me and Joe are, we, we are dealing with a uh, meat and egg price in increase and main thing with that this might be the ca might be the case with the food increases over there as well but the main thing with that was our, our food source once again mostly china since that's how the government works uh pr pretty much this the covid 19 and everything and social distancing staying home etc it has shut all the all the uh manufacturing plants down so pretty much because they're just getting opened back up in the and again does demand for for these goods and everything the want for these goods are mu is much higher than the supply for, to make those goods and therefore judging from the ec economic perspective the law of supply and demand not to not to get on to a non-christian teaching lesson right here but oh well <laughs> but uh because because the, the goods are so limited to the, to the compared to the amount of people wanting them pretty pretty much the way it works is that uh the prices are increasing pretty to see more or less it, if you can afford it, then have at it. If you can't, then heck on you. <laughs> but but hope hopefully yes. Hopefully be in prayer, prayer about it, and hopefully things will get soon 
soon and very soon back to back to the way things were. Right. And uh, Woody, I just want to say thank you. And it seems like Liam left the show, but uh, Woody, thank you for posing these questions and genuinely making us think because, well, I, that's always a good thing. I mean, personally, between uh, everyone here and the listeners, I have a really bad tendency to overthink. So I really tried not to do that (laughs) here, but um, it was great to share this and I could only pray that it enlightened you, that God reveals himself. And you know what? Regardless of whether or not what you believe on this matter or not, I could pray for you on that. But you're still Imago Dei, which means image of God. And I respect you and I love you, brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Um, So, Dylan, I think it's actually time we end the first episode of the Sunday Talk. Sounds good. All right, so uh, Dylan, do you care to close us out in prayer? As usual, I can try to. All right, you guys ready? (laughs) Do or do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) (laughs) That was the worst Yoda impression ever. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Not as good as Joel Epstein's impression. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm not doing that tonight, though. I I don't want to beat the. I don't want to beat the horse. Yeah. All right. Let's get back out. Let's get back to business. All right. Here we go. All right. All right. Dear God, thank you so much for for tonight. Thank you for for the time that we have together and the questions that were posed to us tonight. Above all, thank you for for your word and the evidence abundant that is in it. All we have to do is open it to, to the right area and see and read. To, and to understand it, I thank you for for the for our our couple of get, few guests tonight, and all on top of all the listeners, and most and most of all, I thank you for this podcast even starting to begin with, because I don't know about anybody else, but my faith tremendously has grown over over the past couple, few weeks. Most important of all, I pray for the salvation of everybody everybody in in here that they may come to. To, to know, know you as Lord as their Lord and Savior and know what was to wait, wait on them at the end and it's in your, in your name we pray amen amen all right so Dylan I just want to thank you again for coming on and being my official unofficial co-host and just the <laughs> blessing that you've been to this uh, show um I want to thank everyone who partook in the Sunday talk uh Lord willing, we'll see you guys next week. This has been the Sunday Talk. I'm Joseph Dronick, and I hope you, and I pray you have a great day. Take care, guys.